unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back, copywriters, to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I am fantastic, and I'm just ready to jump into it. So what do we got for the listeners today? Well, let me tell you about a few years ago. I remember I'd had it up to here with all the bulky, complicated audio equipment cluttering up my house. Mm. I needed something simpler, faster, better. So I called BH Photo Video in New York, and I got a salesman, Aaron, on the line, who listened very carefully to me. I remember at one point I said to him, listen, I am not a technical wizard. I do not want to spend 15 minutes each time adjusting knobs and faders just to be able to record something. Of course not, he said. You want to stay in a state of flow. He had me right there. I never had thought about it before, but he was absolutely right. That was why I hated all the complicated stuff. It pulled me out of my flow state. And if I wasn't in a flow state, I couldn't do a very good recording. Then Aaron patiently and thoroughly recommended a device called an Apogee Duet. Now, it cost about four times what I'd planned to spend. But the more he talked, the bigger a believer I became. And I bought it because I was in a state of total conviction. And years of experience has proven this was the right audio device for me. In fact, Nathan, I'm using it right now, even as we speak. Now, listen, copywriters can create conviction in their sales letters and ads the same way Aaron created it in me. And conviction can make all the difference with a hesitating buyer. And that's what we'll talk about today. Nice. Oh, but first, I'd like to mention this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast, and most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims, and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries, like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review of your copy after you write and before you start using the copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So, David, can I ask, when you say conviction, what exactly do you mean? What is conviction? Okay, good question. Um, Conviction is that deep-seated belief that takes away all barriers to action. And I'll give you an example. You're watching a movie, especially an action-adventure movie, where the hero is on a mission. And eventually, their motivation gets to a point where they will stop at nothing to achieve their goal Mm. because they believe in it so strongly. That's conviction. Now, in copy, it's seldom as dramatic as it is in a Hollywood movie. Okay, maybe in a Chris Haddad VSL, but most of the time, (laughs) it's not that dramatic. But it's still just as important because conviction is what opens the door to a sale that sticks. So a lot of times when people are reading your copy, they've got, they've got uh, 
they've got objections going on. They've got concerns about previous times when they've been burnt in the past. And this, if I'm getting you right, is a way to maybe help overcome some of that. Oh, yeah. I would say this is a way to power through that. I mean, think about a true believer. Think about a true believer in politics or religion or sports. Um, that's conviction. And it it overrides and, and plows through all reason, right? Um, from the point of view of an outsider. From the point of view of the person with conviction, it's perfectly reasonable. But, yeah. And, and when you can get a person feeling that way about a product, and, you know, you see this. You see this, like, with phones. I mean, some people with their iPhones, some people with their Androids, I guess some people uh, with their Google phones. You know, you, you see this with cars. Some, some people will never drive anything except a certain make of car. There's a level of conviction that they have for whatever reason. And you want to create this for what you're selling in your copy before they've even bought anything. Almost, almost a level of fanaticism. Yeah, um, it can get to that. It isn't always, but fanaticism is, I would say, um, conviction to the tenth power. Okay, so we're we're gonna roll it back a little bit. Why exactly is conviction so important? Then I, I mean, besides stating the obvious. Well, look at it this way: um, assuming that you've got your copy in order, you know, that you've got a clear offer and um, a price your prospect's willing to pay and good claims of benefits. When you've created conviction in your prospect, they are as ready to buy as they'll ever be. Okay. Now, on the other hand, when you don't create it, you might get a sale, you'll get fewer sales, but with the sales you get, you're going to risk getting buyer's remorse in those customers. And that means, you know what that means? It means more refunds. And for the customers that stick, it still means more customers from hell. Mm. So if you do create some sort of sense of conviction, the, uh, the, you're putting yourself in the position where it, you're just ripe for making the sale. But if you don't create the conviction, even if you do make the sale, You'll get chargebacks. You'll get people that you have to continually uh, cater to to keep them on board. And it's, it's, it's more of a, I guess, it ends up being more of a headache than it's actually worth. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's automatic that you'll create those problems, but it's much, much more likely. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So I, I'm guessing a lot of people in... I'm not even guessing because as a copywriter, I know this and, I, and, I, and I've been the one guilty of it. I'm guessing, though, a lot of other people screw this up as well. And um, how are some of the ways that people screw this up? Yeah, that's right. Um, well, a lot of people think of, of copywriting as a mechanical process where they're doing it totally mentally. They're just you know, following a formula, filling in the blanks, and they're not feeling it, you know? And so what they do is they use this, what I call a paint-by-numbers approach to creating conviction. They say, okay, well, we'll put a testimonial here, and um, we'll put um, the origin story here, and, you know, they're thinking it, but it's, it's, it's from the neck up. 
I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to get, I'm not trying to turn this into the inside the actor's studio. All I'm <laughs> saying is you need, you need to really get yourself as the copywriter fully engaged with your product, your offer, your pitch, and the conversation you're having with your customer. And that's what copy is, of course. It's a conversation with your customer. That's what you need to do to get conviction. When when they don't do it, it's not authentic. It's It looks like you phoned it in, so to speak. You know, they don't create an authentic, believable conversation in their copy between themselves and their prospect. Mm-hmm. And you see that a lot. I see that all the time where it looks like the it's got all of the correct elements, but there's no passion. There's no sincerity. There's no uh, there's no real compelling argument behind it. It's just um, problem, agitate, solution, offer. Yeah, exactly. Now, um, I'm going to take a leap and I might get, you know, my brother and sister copywriting teachers mad at me for saying this, but ultimately it's the copywriter's responsibility. But in the first act, it's our fault. It's all the copywriting teachers and mentors and coaches fault. And I'll take some blame here myself up till now. We haven't talked about conviction enough. We haven't demonstrated enough. We haven't insisted on it from our clients enough. And, you know, for those who read our books or watch our seminars or even listen to our podcasts up until this one, they might not have thought about it. I mean, I had to do a lot of thinking to put together this podcast. This is something that's intuitively important to me, but I've never seen it spelled out before. I I know in one copywriting book, uh, it's discussed briefly, but it's not discussed in terms of how important it is. And I've, I've never seen anyone talk about what we're going to do today. We're actually going to go through some steps, but I urge everyone, whether you're a copywriter, whether you hire copywriters, whether you're a marketer, you know, whether you're a, an inventor, a business owner, it, it is the conviction that makes the sale. Your conviction transferred as as Zig Ziglar said, transfer emotionally to the prospect. So they have conviction. That's what really makes the sale. Nice. So let's, uh, let's kind of just jump into how do we go about doing this? Where do we need to start? Well, as a copywriter, you need to start with yourself. And what I mean by that is you need to feel it. You need to feel in your heart and in your gut that the product or service you're selling is good, is worth it, is important, maybe is necessary, maybe, and you can't always feel this, but maybe that it's really the best and the only choice for your prospect. And you need to get to the point where you would buy it yourself, or maybe you actually do buy it yourself. Now, if you don't believe that, and a lot of times, copywriters don't. Let's face it. We have to be skeptical in order to do our job. In order to do good research, we have to be skeptical. But if you don't believe in the product or service you're selling to the point where you would buy it yourself, you've got three choices. The first one is to convince yourself really authentically that you do believe in it 
so much that you would buy it. You'd recommend it to a family member, you know, the kind you like. <laughs> okay. So that that's the first one. Now, there's a second one, and I'm not recommending this, but I also live in the real world. And, you know, I deal with other people in the real world all the time. The second one is to fake it. You need to pretend you believe it that much to the point where you convince yourself, even if it's not true. And you need to write from that state of mind. Um, just remember the famous George Burns quote. And for people who don't know him, George Burns was a famous comedian, old school comedian in Hollywood, always had a cigar and a, a wise ass grin on his face. And he said, sincerity is important. Once you can fake that, you've got it made. <laughs> okay. Now, then there's situation number three. If you absolutely can't develop a feeling of conviction, whether real or contrived, I mean a total feeling of conviction, then you need to walk away. You need to fire the client. You need to resign from the project. If you can't mock up a feeling of conviction in yourself, you're not doing yourself or your client or your business or prospects any favors. If this is something people really need and you can't convince them to buy it, what good are you? What good is that, right? So you shouldn't be writing the piece if you can't feel conviction about what you're doing. But, you know, now that I've said that, for the rest of, of this show, let's assume you can develop a solid feeling of conviction in yourself, okay? That, that's the step one. So real quick, before we continue, I just want to yeah. go back and uh, kind of explore a point you said. Um, yep. You said trying to convince yourself that it's it's the only or it's the right option for your prospect that also involves knowing that your prospect isn't everybody so it might not be the right solution for everybody but if you really know who your avatar is if you really know who your prospect is uh you can narrow down who it is the right who it is the only um conceivable option for and then you can write from from uh from that point of view and that would make it a lot easier as well that's a great point, Nathan, and often that's the case. Um, everything's not for everybody, and it's really okay to say, here's who this is for, and here's who this is not for. And when you do that, you want to discourage the people it's not for, but you want to do everything you can to get the people who you believe it is for to try it. Mm-hmm. So you've got that, you've got that sense, uh, that feeling, that solid feeling of conviction in yourself. Um, how are some, how, how, what are some of the techniques that you can use to, to, uh, to go forward? Well, here's something people might want to write down or, or memorize if you're driving or listening to this, you want to make it personal, relevant, and meaningful. So let's dig into each one of those. Hey, let me ask you a question. Does it take you too long to write your copy? And if it does, have you ever wished you had a proven system to write it faster? Well, if that describes you, then you'll want to know about high-speed copywriting. This is a home study program that has helped a lot of people write profitable sales letters in as little as five hours. 
No, it's not a bunch of shortcut tricks that leave you with cookie-cutter sales letters that people can ignore. It's about writing full-fledged, memorable, response-getting sales letters much faster than it usually takes. It's tested and proven, too. High-speed copywriting will ease you through putting together an original, powerful sales letter and putting it together in record time. You can find out more at highspeedcopywriting.com. By the way, this is one of the very few programs that Bond and Kevin Halbert have given their Halbert seal of approval to. So check it out today, highspeedcopywriting.com. Thank you. And now back to our show. You want to make it personal, relevant, and meaningful. So let's dig into each one of those. Personal. Talk about, write about how the product or service actually fits into the prospect's life and what difference it will make. Now, if you'll remember about the audio equipment I was talking about at the beginning of the show, Aaron did that. He jumped right in there and said, of course not. Those mixers you're talking about, you have to spend all that time adjusting, pull you out of a state of flow. He just dove right into my experience in a very welcome way. And he let me know what difference it would make to have something I can pull off the shelf, plug in to about three sockets, including my computer and my microphone, my headphones, and be ready to go in a minute. Um, And there's one knob to adjust. That's it. So he did that. Believe me, I don't have any commercial relationship with Apogee. Frankly, I hope other podcasters don't get one because (laughs) then they'll start to sound better. And you know, I'm a competitive guy. I'll go through and edit out the name of the product <laughs> so that nobody knows our secret sauce. There you go. <laughs> but in order to talk about the difference the product will make, it means you really have to understand the prospects and their lives, including their frustrations, why they have those frustrations, how they show up, the frustrations that is, and how your product or service is going to help them with it. Mm-hmm. That's the first one, personal. The second thing is relevant. You don't want to give generic reasons and examples. You want to give specific reasons and specific examples. A lot of people write in abstractions. They just talk about high concepts. One way you know if something is a generality is if you can't see a picture of it. You couldn't visualize holding it in your hand or seeing it before you or touching it. I mean, when when you say the name of a country or the population or the people of the United States or Canada or New Zealand or Estonia, and that's for Big Mike in case he's listening, um, you know, what does that mean? But if you talk about an American or a Canadian or a New Zealander or an Estonian, and you describe them, talk about how tall they are, they're Estonian, they're probably very tall, then that will uh, make it specific. And I was having an interview with Kim Phelan at GKIC, where I do some work, I critique copy for them, for, for their members. And we were talking about the same issue, and she said that specifics provoke emotional responses, whereas generalities don't. Now, that's true most of the time. There are certain generalities, especially in 
highly emotionally charged subjects like sports and politics, other things like that, where generality can provoke some emotions. I mean, you talk to a a New York Giants fan, you say New England Patriots, and instantly you see the jaw tighten and the blood come to their face, right? And and that's really an abstraction. I mean, it's the name of a team, but it involves a lot of things. But in general, abstractions, and especially in the kind of copy you're writing most of the time, unless it's a fundraising letter, you're going to want to drill down to the specifics. Well, even that though, David, naming a specific team rather than saying the opposing team is a is the contrast between specific and generality. That's a good point. Yeah, it, it. I mean, you could be talking to a New York Giants fan and you say the opposing team, and they go, "Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. We're just not doing so well this year." Or you could say the New England Patriots, and he said, "Okay, you want to take that outside, buddy?" <laughs> right. So. Let's see, where were we? Oh, um, the third one is meaningful. You need to say something that will be meaningful to your prospect, not just meaningful to you, not just meaningful to the company that you're selling for, you're writing copy for, meaningful to the prospect. And in order to do this, you really need to understand your prospect. Once you understand them in the way that I've described already, then you'll know what's meaningful to them. Again, we can talk about Aaron, the audio salesman. He understands creative people and performers. And he knows that for us, getting in a state of flow and staying there is high on the priority list. And so he was able to say one phrase. It didn't make the sale, but it it got me to a place where it was very easy for me to settle into a feeling of conviction and desire and being willing to take action. So you want to use metaphors, analogies, and comparisons. That's that's another way to create conviction, especially when you've got something that's not familiar. If you can make a comparison to something that is familiar, for example, I'm not enough of an expert in the kitchen to know if this is true, but suppose there's really no one food processor that does it all. There probably is, but let's say there's not. And you come up with one. If you use this comparison, or I, I don't know if this is a comparison, analogy, metaphor, simile, um, somebody you know with a degree in English can write in and tell us. But if you say, it's the Swiss army knife of food processors, boom, right away, people get it. And then if you can prove it, and you can show how much more convenient that is and that you don't have to take the carrots that when you're slicing them into a juicer because the food processor is also a juicer and so on and so forth, you have created conviction that way. So basically, if you're trying to explain an idea that is too far from their ability to comprehend tie it to an idea that they'll automatically understand and then they'll be able to draw the comparison between the two. Yes. And I'd say it goes even further. I'd say it might be well within their ability to comprehend, but they're going to have to go into their rational mind, into the front of their brain and leave their emotional state to do that comprehension, make it a no brainer. So just like you were talking about earlier, when you had to set up all the audio equipment and you had to mess with the knobs, it took you out of that flow state. You, When people are reading your copy, you don't want 
to give them any excuse to leave that flow state. That's a great insight. I never thought about that until you just said it, and you're absolutely right. Not only do you want to be in a flow state, um, well, as a copywriter, when it gets good, you're in a flow state. Sometimes you just have to eke it out one sentence at a time, but when it goes good, you're in a flow state. But no matter what your state was when you're writing it, you want to have your customer in a flow state. So it's effortless to read it, effortless to understand, and it's easier emotionally to take out the credit card and buy than it is to say, I'll think about it, or no, I don't want that. All right, cool. So what's the, uh, what's the next step? Um, the next step is once you've got all this material arranged and once you've got your own state of conviction dialed in, then you want to write to one person as yourself, from yourself. In other words, you don't want to write to a market or a demographic. You don't want to write to some concept like that. You want to write to a specific individual. Think of someone that you like and care about, someone you know, and write it to them. I mean, obviously you would want them to be in the market. So think of someone you know in the mar- who's in the niche for this particular product and write to that person. It will come across so much more authentic and easy to read, and it will create so much more conviction when you do that. So I guess maybe the difference there would be being in an audience where a speaker is talking to a crowd versus being in a one-on-one conversation where someone is speaking directly to you. Uh, you're going to get, you, you might be moved, you might, get caught up, you might get caught up in the mob mentality inside of the crowd. But if somebody's speaking directly to you, that's going to, that's going to be so much more powerful. It's going, to, um, it's going to resonate with you more. It's going to feel like their message was specifically for you. And you want to remember that your reader, if they feel like they're just part of a crowd that you're talking to versus if they feel like they're having a one-on-one conversation, you're going to be able to create conviction in them a lot easier if they feel like it's a one-on-one conversation versus uh, just one person in a, in a crowd of masses. That's perfect. I couldn't add anything to it. That, that nails it exactly. The other thing I'd like to say is you want to address what I call important trivialities, details that anyone outside of the market would consider totally ridiculous and worthless. Most people, you know, what we do, you and I, Nathan, when we record a podcast, it's like a black box. It, it might as well be like we're performing alchemy. Um, to us, it's very specific. There are hard ways to do it and easy ways to do it. And the fact that I could put this particular piece of audio equipment in a small briefcase and take it overseas and be ready to go, you know, to record something. Now, that might not mean much to people. They figure, well, you can just hire a studio or you can just do this or you can put it in your. Well, to me, that would be important to you. That would be important, I would think. So you have to figure out what the important trivialities are. Find out details. Find out the little details that most people would never care about, but your prospect cares about a lot. 
mentioning those in a meaningful way, you know, emphasizing those, talking about you as the copywriter or as the person you're ghostwriting for, talking about your enthusiasm for that, that enthusiasm will transfer and that will help create conviction as well. Nice. So overall, this has just been a great episode and it it really comes down to knowing what is going to move your market, knowing how your market communicates. And I think the over the overall thing is knowing what's going to get them, like you said, evoke that conviction in them and making sure that you're writing with that conviction. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, people can listen to this again or go over the show notes because I've laid it out pretty, pretty um, logically and step by step and everything I have in there is doable. It's not always easy, but it's worth the extra effort if it is extra effort. And sometimes it is pretty easy. Just depends. And that last detail that we were talking about where you were talking about getting the the important trivialities, the things that wouldn't matter to the outside crowd, but really make a difference to the inside crowd. I know that in comedy, I know that when it comes to like uh, cult TV shows, when they do um, throwback mentions to things that happened five episodes ago and they wouldn't make any sense to somebody watching the episode for the first time. Uh, if you're having a conversation with people from your neighborhood and you're talking about things that happened in the neighborhood when you were kids and, and you've brought your girlfriend along and she has no idea about these little inside things. Um, is that kind of what you're getting at that those little inside, not so much jokes, but inside quips that creates a, 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 a stronger form of bonding or. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Anything that takes it from generic, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about a show I like a lot called Ray Donovan on Showtime. And uh, I hope this isn't a spoiler. If someone hasn't seen this episode yet, stop the podcast here. But um, it it was an episode where, where uh, one of the brothers was in jail and the father, whose name is uh, Mickey, has to show up to meet an FBI agent. And he doesn't know that he's going to get arrested when he shows up to meet him. And so the FBI agent says, meet me at Spring Street in Chinatown. Now there was a little inside joke there because by meeting him there, the FBI agent would spring Bunchy from prison. I mean, it was sort of a um, a lame roundabout pun, but yeah, all, all of those things. Um, insider details, you know, uh, some people call it inside baseball stuff. It, it it's a non-comedic version of letting people in on the joke, letting people in on the secret, you know, making them part of your secret world in a way. And it, it adds a sense of connection. It's just like Easter eggs in a movie when you're watching a movie about comic books and they have something that's not the, the general mass crowd won't catch the inside reference but the real hardcore fans will catch it and it'll just make the movie that much more impactful for them so it it, it really comes down to you really do have to know your market you really have to know what what will get them emotionally stirred up and you really have to um also buy into it and and include it and um man it, it it's it's one of those things where 
you you, you kind of mentioned like the the hitman copywriter earlier that just pulls the trigger, collects the money, and doesn't emotionally commit to the job. But um, if you can actually emotionally commit, it probably would make it a lot easier. Yeah, there there is a guy, one of my clients. Um, he's about six foot two. He always wears sunglasses, indoor and outdoors. He has some, um, you know, a blank uh, stone stone cold expression on his face, and um, sort of intimidating. And they call him Hitman, but that's just the way he looks. He he doesn't write that way. He he actually gets very engaged and um, creates a lot of conviction. So, but to actually operate like a detached hitman, not good. You're right. All right. Well, David, this has been an awesome episode. I know that the listener out there really. I know I learned a lot, and I'm sure that the listener out there did as well. What do we have coming up next week? Well, Nathan, we're going over to the dark side. We're going to talk about negative emotion, the copywriter's best friend. Uh Uh-oh. All right. Well, get ready for it, copywriter. We will catch you next time. Bye for now. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast.